Welcome to the People of Packaging podcast, where we introduce people to the world of packaging and the people of packaging to the world. Here are your hosts, Adam Peek and Ted Tate. So we have got a killer interview lined up again uh, from the People of Packaging podcast with Joe Fernandez, uh, middle name Edward, as you'll find out. My first name is Edward, in case you didn't know. Now you know. Uh, You also need to know that you can support this podcast by going to peopleofpackaging.com and getting your free ebook from Doxalent. Uh, It's an incredible resource for you to have to figure out some ways to level up your game. If you are struggling with managing your packaging specs, I get so many requests every day. Hey, where's this at? Where's that at? Can you send me this? I'm a packaging vendor. You can control that um, by signing up with Doxalent. Uh, but take your first step, get your free ebook, first name, last name, email address. So head on over to peopleofpackaging.com. It would mean a lot to us. It helps support the podcast. Uh, it takes a little bit of money to run this thing, and uh, downloading the book is super helpful. So let's get to this interview with Joe Fernandez. All right, welcome to another episode of the People of Packaging podcast. I'm uh, excited to be joined by Joe. Do you go by Joseph or Joe? Joe. Joe, all right. Yep. You just you dropped the Seth. <laughs> My uh, mother calls me Joseph. That's about it. All right, all right. Do you have a middle name, too, that she calls you? Because that's what I hear a lot. Edward. Oh, that's my legal first name. That's oh. fun. Look, we already have something in common. We're, there you go. We are Edwards who don't go by our name Edward. Mine is my <laughs> first name. Yours is your middle name. Um, well, Joe Fernandez um, and Joe and I connected. I think we connected up on LinkedIn. Is that correct? Yeah, it was uh, quite a while ago. And it was. Yeah. And we've just been playing uh, podcast tag. <laughs> yeah, we've been going back and forth a couple times. Uh, well, we were able to connect up on the phone and Joe's got a cool story and does some really interesting stuff and has a cool perspective co- covering various uh, segments of the packaging industry. So I'm excited to dig into those. So Joe, welcome to, would this be your first packaging podcast you've ever been on? This would be my first. Yes. Is it your first podcast ever? uh, Yeah, absolutely. I listen to a bunch of them, but never get on them. Yeah. Well, here we are. We're doing (laughs) it. Uh, So why don't you, uh, why don't you just kind of introduce yourself, maybe a little bit about your background. We know your middle name, so that's pretty critical, but uh, you know, other things, where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Uh, you know, what's your favorite indie rock band? I don't know. Sure. So uh, I'm Joe Fernandez, uh, born and raised in New York, Queens, went to school at RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology, did not envision myself going into packaging at all, actually went in going for accounting and um it didn't go so well. No, no. I, I kind of realized like the first year that I didn't want to count other people's money the rest of my life. Hmm. So uh, I had a RA who is currently uh, at Gillette and, you know, I was like, what are you doing at Gillette? He's like, oh, I'm making all this cool packaging. I'm like, you're making packaging. What's that all about? So while he, while he or she was in school, yeah, he was uh, doing a co-op at Gillette, and I thought it was, you know, I'd never heard of packaging. Sure. It never crossed my mind. 
Well, you knew about it. You just didn't know it was like a, it never connected. Like this is a job that people do. Right. Yeah. So, you know, started looking into it after that and just totally fell in love with, with the program at the school and kind of the prospects of the job. Awesome. Does RIT have like a, a mascot? I've interviewed a couple of people from RIT. I've never thought like go Cougars or whatever their name is. Tigers. The RIT Tigers. The RIT Tigers. All right. Good to know. So who of the, uh, who of the Tigers is better in terms of packaging schools, Clemson or RIT? <laughs> well, I'm going to say RIT. Good work. But <laughs> uh, Clemson, Clemson's up there though. Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've cranked out some pretty good people. So yeah. Uh, awesome. So you're talking with your RA, uh, he's doing some cool stuff over at Gillette. Um, and you're like, packaging is the best a man can get. And so you decide to uh, see what I did there. Combined yeah, I saw that. Yeah. It was, that was really bad. Uh, so you decide to jump into packaging and uh, from accounting, which I would say, you know, the accountants can turn off the podcast right now, but great move. Um, (laughs) and, uh, so you go through school and then, you know, what, what was kind of the next phase of your life? So, yeah. So before I even get through school, I get to my junior year of packaging and, you know, part of the program is you have to have a co-op. So I interviewed and interviewed and interviewed for a co-op, just looking for something, anything. And Fisher Price came along and I was like, okay, toys, cool. That sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, they were in Buffalo, which is about 45 minutes to an hour from the school. So I could go drive, see my friends on the weekends, which was great. And a six-month co-op turned into a nine-month co-op. And uh, probably one of the, the best job experiences in my life. I mean, that really sealed the deal for me uh, as far as wanting to be in packaging and seeing the value that it had. What, what specifically was it, was it Fisher price or was it just packaging or what specifically made that nine months? Well, first of all, why did it extend from six to nine months? Was it, you were just like, I was just awesome. And they, or like, what, what was that about? And then what made it so cool? Well, it, I think part of it for them was, Hey, we can keep them on and we don't have to find another uh, intern for another three months. Fair. But for me, it was, Hey, I'm, I'm already here. This is cool. I want to keep doing this for a few months. And uh, yeah, the the thing that really kind of opened my eyes was, you know, you think of packaging as when you're a student, anyway, you think of packaging as, Hey, it's just packaging. Like I just do packaging, but when you actually get to a brand, you know, you see that packaging is just this one small component of this big machine. And uh, it's really neat seeing how it worked. You know, like you would design a package for uh, say a set of toys and you then have to present that package to a marketing department, a sales department, an engineering department. Uh, And it was just really neat how all of those things connected and how I just really enjoyed my small slice of that pie. Yeah, for sure. Don't forget about supply chain. They, oh, they, they want to say, <laughs> uh, yeah. And isn't it, isn't it cool to, especially I'd imagine being in college and then I love when I'm in a store and I'm like that, that I did that. Do you see yeah. this right here? I did this. And you know, my family's like, Oh, whatever. And that's how they are now. But 
Yeah, there was a while there where it was like, this is this is awesome. It's just so tangible and and real. Right. And that for me, that's actually one of the bigger points moving from accounting to packaging is it's tangible. Like I can feel my work. I can hold it. I can put it on a shelf and look at it. Yeah. And uh, you know, I've got two kids. I've got a three and a half year old son and a seven week old daughter. And I still have a couple of my Fisher price toys that I did packaging for that my son plays with. And I think that's the coolest thing. That's awesome. And congrats. Seven weeks Thank old you. is uh, yeah. fresh and new and, and you seem awake. Yeah. Well, I've got a cup of coffee on my desk, so. I'm, okay. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's allowed. Um, it's totally allowed. Uh, that's, that's cool. Then to be able to connect it now as, as a father has just got to be, um, I mean, yeah, just the other day I had my, I was doing a, um, it's like a yogurt cup, um, that I was doing some mock-ups with some shrink sleeves on. And I mean, it was super mock-up-y, you know, so I already had the film. It was just digitally printed. And so I'm putting a glue stick around it, uh, just to make sure that it locked in with some adhesive. And I've got my little like dry cleaning steam wand and I'm going around it and shrinking down. And my daughter, who's 11, was just like, just in, just so captured by it. She's like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And so she watched me do like 50 of these. And she's like, can I try it? I was like, sure. Sounds great. And she nailed it. She totally nailed it. And she's like, can I keep this? I'm like, you can keep that one. And she was, she was ecstatic. So just, it, it's so cool, especially as your kids get older, you know, they're, it's going to be playing with the toys that you helped design the packaging. And then they're just going to be playing with the boxes and the labels and all sorts of stuff that you right. bring home. Um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, Cool deal. So, uh, any anything else pertaining to like your uh, your time at RIT or working at Fisher Price, or then it was like just venture out. You're sort of like kicked into the real world. Yeah, that. So my first job straight out of college was at a domestic corrugated manufacturer and converter, and that is a rude awakening. Uh, when you go from being in a nice, cushy uh, toy brand office to working in a garage next to a corrugator in the winter. Oh, my gosh. And in, are you still in the same area? Uh, this was in New England. Yeah, but still, it's freezing. Yeah. Freezing. Yeah. So, you know, wearing a jacket while I'm designing things in CAD and cutting things out on a sample table and there's a gigantic machine rumbling, you know, just 30 feet away. Um, that was like a huge wake up call. Like, whoa, packaging is not just uh, fun design and, you know, cushy offices. So that, I, it, you know, looking back on it, I'm really grateful um, because I was able to see, hey, this is how a box gets made. This is how corrugated gets made. Um, I think it's incredibly humbling and incredibly helpful to know, you know, how things get from point A to point B, right. Uh, you know, when you're up above kind of figuring out how to design something or source something. Yeah. And I'm sure that's all going to come, uh, you know, you're, you're probably dealing with all of that now um, in your current job, but yeah, I could see where that, were you doing like structural engineering kind of stuff at Fisher price? Yeah, is that sort of doing, what you're doing? 
yeah, like fun toy boxes. Like, hey, we've got a pirate ship. It needs a fun box. I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And then from that to like, we need a we need a new RSC size made. You're like, sweet. Yeah. Is it still sea flute? <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it was. Yeah, 32 ECT or two. Yeah, like. So then, yeah, I can see where that transition, but even in the monotony of that job, I got to imagine you were really able to not, you know, you mentioned like learning a lot, but you still realize the importance of the monotonous side of packaging, which not a lot of people really think about, which is like the shipping boxes and the void fill and the type of tape that is used and, you know, all these things that still require engineering. They still have to be designed and made. And while it doesn't seem as glamorous as, you know, designing an Apple iPhone box or a Fisher Price toy box, it's still critically important to everything that we do in our country. Yeah. Yeah. And, and current day in my current role, you know, those skills and learnings that I got back then uh, still come into play. I mean, you mentioned tape. We had an issue where we spec'd out a tape and it was failing, failing somewhere between our conveyor belt and UPS's distribution center. And, you know, we couldn't figure it out. Turns out the tape that was spec'd, uh, it just wasn't made for cold temperatures. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a really bad cold snap in the Midwest last year. And some days it was like minus 10 and Hey, that tape is not going to get tacky enough to hold onto that box. And it just fell off. So, you know, that stuff is like really critical to know. Right. I had something similar once with uh, thermal transfer shipping labels and, you know, it's terrifying. It was the same thing. It was a, it was the variation in temperature. It was a pretty normal product for the company that used to work for. And I get this call like, hey, every shipping label is falling off the box. That's a massive problem when that is the sole source of truth for where that box is supposed to be. It's got all the barcodes and everything on it. And the labels are just peeling off and coming off the box. So, yeah, I mean, all of it is critical. Um, so that's cool. Um, and, and then uh, I'm looking here at your, at your uh, LinkedIn profile. So then from the corrugated place... It looks like you're there for a few years and then you just like moved across the country, it would appear. Or did you just work for a company that was based there? No, I, I moved across the country. I was kind of at a point in my life where I was like, I got to get out of this place. <laughs> I've been getting too many paper cuts for too many years. You know, I need to change. Um, and I had a friend that was working at this company called Paxess at the time out in Portland, Oregon. And she said, hey, we have an opening. You're, would you be interested? You know, you want to give it a shot? I'm like, yeah. You know what? Got nothing to lose. Uh, let's do it. And well, I take that back. Not nothing to lose. I was dating my wife at the time. Okay. Uh, and I got the job and I left. And I left her there Ooh. in New York. Yeah, that was tough. All the way to uh, Oregon? All the way to Oregon. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And so, did she say like... I'm not moving without a ring. Like how did that conversation that go? That is exactly what she said. Wow. <laughs> Good for her. Good for her. Got to put a ring on it, Joe. Yeah. And I did. I did. It took a little while. Yeah. Took, uh, yeah. But, but I put a ring on it and she came out to Oregon. 
All right. All right. Well, good, good work. Uh, that's cool. And how was yeah. that experience? Cause I know, uh, so what was the name? Cause it, what was the name of the company and then were they acquired? Is that? Yeah. So it used to be called Paxess. Okay. And then it became Billarud Coarseness. Yeah. That one. That one. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's Swedish. Yeah. They have some cool products. I've, they I've have, seen them. They have some really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, the What I was doing there was uh, a lot of RSC design and primary packaging design for U.S. brands that are manufacturing their products in China, Southeast Asia. So kind of bringing me back to that sort of Fisher-Price uh, design mentality, which yeah. was really nice. So getting to work with a lot of different products, uh, anything from shoes to grills, uh, baby clothes, anything in between we, we would work on. Uh, yeah. And just really awesome seeing all that variety. You know, it's one of my not- favorite parts. It's one of my favorite parts about the packaging industry is, I mean, yeah, you do have, I guess, people and or companies that really will focus in on one sort of market vertical and they do it really well. But I, in my, in my career, I have not done that. And so I would go from meetings with, you know, a vitamin company that's making vitamins. And then that same day I'd meet with a a restaurant chain to talk about, you know, labels on to-go bags. And I'd go to a meeting at a legal uh, retail marijuana company and then wrap it up with a med device. It was just, and, and everything is so dynamic and different and fun. And, but it was still running through the same sorts of presses. And so, you know, you could kind right. of funnel it down into like, for example, corrugated, you're going to get to talk to everybody because that's a- across the board, something like a, a corrugated RSC. That's a pretty, the, the, I always say the equipment doesn't really care by and large who the customer is. It's just like, I just want to make things. Yeah. So but the needs are always different, right? The, the design's different, the needs different, the testing is different. Like some of that stuff can be different. So it's still this cool dynamic part to it that touches so many different industries. And that's, I think that's one of the tough things to explain to non-packaging folks is you can have two RSC side by side that, you know, look identical. Um, But really they could be engineered for two totally different applications. You know, from having like a coating on the inside to ward off moisture or, you know, having a, a particular glue tab orientation. Um, you know, that's kind of the neat, like nitty gritty packaging stuff that I guess we like to nerd out about. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. It's, uh, and you know, I was pretty clear when, um, when Ted and I started the podcast that it wasn't going to be a, cause, because, well, so Ted's a packaging engineer um, who, if you haven't, I don't think you guys have talked yet, but uh, I should no. introduce you to Ted. He's awesome. Um, so he's a packaging engineer by trade uh, and I am not. And so he could get a lot more nerdy. I, I know enough to dig in a little bit, you know, but I can't, you start talking about glue tab orientations and I'm just like, yeah, all right. <laughs> I understand, I understand importance of things, but you know, like I've never been an engineer sitting in a garage in New England with my cargo or my uh, Carhartt jacket on, <laughs> cranking out, cranking out box designs. Um, 
That's awesome. And then from there, you, uh, you, you're now in your current job. Is that correct? That's right. I'm at Vera Bradley now in Indiana. So we uh, went from the East Coast to the West Coast, kind of landed somewhere in between. Ish. Uh, ish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but we love it out here. Um, you know, amazing company to work with, really great folks. And the packaging is different. So our product is a soft good, uh, purses, handbags, uh, duffels. And we're not looking at necessarily quite a bit of primary packaging, you know, things that are going on shelves and catching your eye. You know, our, our product catches your eye. You see a Vera Bradley bag with bright purple and red and pink paisley. Uh, it catches your eye. It doesn't need anything else. Sure. So the, the things that I'm focusing on here are optimizing our supply chain uh, within the distribution center. So working on automation, getting things out the door a little faster and working on packaging coming in from overseas. You know, how do we get the most in a box, the most in a container safely uh, with the least amount of material? And there's lots of challenges in that where you're working with several different vendors overseas. How do you get everyone on the same page? Um, how do you get suppliers on the same page? So those are the challenges that we're working at now. And, you know, they're pretty exciting. I'd say with the, the advent of more robust and more affordable automation, it's made our job a little easier, uh, but it also introduces a lot of other challenges. Because right. now, now you maybe want to spend, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars on this machine to automate uh, your inbound or your outbound product. And how do you go about implementing that into a distribution center that's been established for a while already? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that would be, and especially in a, I mean, and the distribution centers, are, are you guys vertically integrated to where you own some DCs or are those third parties that you have to work with? No, it is, it is our DC. So it's we, your have, DC. Okay. we have one single DC across the parking lot from our design center. Got it. And everything yep. goes there and everything that's kind of a, a pinch point for your yep. supply chain. Got it. Okay. Well, that probably makes it easier. I know with a lot of people who are working with third party three PLs, it's like you want to do things, but you got to get in line behind all these other companies. Yeah. 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 That, that's definitely one of the things we have going for us is, you know, we, we own our own process. And, and so you had mentioned working overseas uh, I'll ask maybe, maybe it's the obvious question, but um, how has, you know, we're now seven months into this, whatever pandemic, you know, quarantine or something like that. How has that impacted your supply chain with working with companies overseas? I, I don't want to assume that it's that, that they're all in, you know, in Asia, because I'm sure there's also distribution across the globe, but uh, typically it's primarily in Asia. So how has that been? Has has it been difficult? Has that changed anything? Um, what's that been like for you? You know, we are planning about a year ahead, you know, so right now we're, we're working on the year 20, 2021. Um, it hasn't had a huge impact with how we design and interact with those folks overseas. It's had more of an impact with how we collaborate and design here stateside. Hmm. Uh, so, the, you know, our relationship with those folks overseas has always been remote, you know, yeah. that has changed. Um, 
but being able to go into a room with some designers and some product developers and talk over a particular item and package and how it's all going to interact, uh, that's become a bit more challenging since we're doing it remotely. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah. And so your, but your supply chain was, was still stable and steady and still stable and steady. Yeah. So yeah. we've, um, you know, one of the big things that we've done and that probably done the best out of, uh, a lot of the companies out there is masks. So our masks have been selling like hotcakes and they're pretty slick looking, you know, uh, we have lots of pattern masks, you know, using our existing patterns and some of our older patterns. Yeah. And, uh, the big scramble was, Hey, make a package for this. So, you know, that's always really exciting because a lot of the time I've got, you know, months to come up with a package for an item. Right. Uh, being given the challenge to come up with a mask package and uh, just a handful of weeks uh, was well. Yeah, different. let me hang out. Let me hang out there for a second because I yeah. think you would. Be, you're the first person I've talked to who's had to. I've, I've talked to people about sanitizer and and you know things like that, but I've never talked with like, okay, we had to ramp up mask production. So you already have the fabric, obviously, because that's right. something that you make. What was that like? I don't know, like a quick turn process. I mean, it's not like you, like you said, you don't have months to sit around. I mean, it's, it's a global pandemic and this is a health thing. So um, coupled with your already talking about the difficulty in collaboration with people, like, what was that like? Was, was that an exciting time for you? Like you were getting to work, like I'm going to help save some people's lives today. Uh, like that seems really fun to me. Yeah, it, you know, it wasn't on my radar at all. And I think when we started out, we didn't know it was going to be as big as it actually turned out to be. So the first masks were actually made here locally in our sample room. Oh, wow. And um, as we saw kind of demand ramp up, you know, we have these relationships overseas with companies that sew and factories that sew. And they already have some of our fabric in stock. So we went ahead and said, hey, let's start making these masks. Uh, and sure enough, you know, within a matter of two or three weeks, there were masks on their way from overseas. And, and what kind of packaging did you guys decide on? I, I need to go order one for my, uh, for my family. So good, good looking out well, on that. It, it started out with whatever was on hand. So, right. uh, you know, Hey, put it in a poly bag, just get it over here. And uh, we've got, you know, some exciting collaborations and things on the way. Um, that I can't necessarily talk about. Yeah, that's fine. But um, there are going to be some cool masks available at Target that we've got a great relationship with. And, uh, you know, the, the packaging needs to be simple, needs to be cost effective, and it can't take too long to produce. Yeah. Because uh, it's such a hot, quick turnaround item. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, it's maybe one of my bigger pet peeves with within packaging is, when it's a product and you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head when it's a product that is, is needs, it is, it is almost like a utility, like a utility kind of product. It's like, just make the packaging really easy. And some people get so hung up and listen, I've done plenty of unboxing videos, but some people get so hung up on this idea of like, we have to make the unboxing experience great. And it's like, yeah, but sometimes I just want to get my mask, open it and put it on my face. And that's, that's the great experience for me. 
is that the packaging is out of the way. It's almost, it almost feels non-existent. Like I don't even recognize that the packaging's there. I just, I just use it and I go with it. Um, and I have seen a few brands, not necessarily with masks, but I have seen a few brands who like, they try to make this really intricate unboxing experience and I'll get it. And I'm like, can I just get the product? Like this is, and I like packaging, you know what I'm saying? Like I can't imagine what it's like for a lot of people. Um, so that's, it's such a great point that you, you have, you have a task to design packaging in a sense, especially like with the masks where it has to be able to get made really quickly. It can't just, you can't design some intricate something or other that's going to take 12 weeks. It's like, we got to be able to turn this stuff fast. Yeah. And did you have to work hand in hand with like product managers and supply chain at Vera Bradley to, to come up with that? Is that? It was uh, quite a, quite a lot of work with supply chain, uh, quality marketing. You know, you, you've got a package and you've got a marketing department. They're going to want to put things on it. True. Uh, and so that, that's a struggle in and of itself. And uh, the other component is, uh, you know, working with a quality department and making sure you know, you have everything you need to have on that package. Uh, the last thing you want to do is make a false claim that, you know, you can use this for open heart surgery. Right. You can't. Right. Uh, so it, it's, you really have to streamline the process and know who you're going to have to talk to, to, to get something moving. Um, you know, even though copy and artwork isn't necessarily being done by a packaging engineer, um, at the end of the day, it's going on the package. And yeah. once you green light that package for production, uh, you, you best better have everything squared away. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I thought it was funny. There were a bunch of people that were putting up uh, pictures of, you know, some of these masks that were pretty clear, like does not stop you from getting COVID-19 because, you know, the masks, the, the whole point behind the mask was to not infect other people. Like, that was the whole reason behind it. It's not going to keep stuff from coming in, especially like the cloth masks. I'm sure there are some, some of the one medical grade ones that will be a little bit more prohibitive. And there were people posting all over the place. See, look, I told you does not stop you from getting COVID-19. I'm like, yes, of course it doesn't. Nobody has claimed. I've not met one person who've, who's claimed that. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that, uh, and, and since we've already offended the, uh, the accounting people, um, we can take a swipe at, at, at our lovely marketing folks. How often are you like, yeah, we're just waiting on marketing to, you don't have to throw your own marketing people it, at Fisher price. We'll throw them under the bus. Like they're <laughs> still just waiting on marketing to approve that, that, you know, arts uh, or whatever it you is. Know, it's, a, it's a phrase I utter almost daily. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair love enough. the marketing folks. Love the marketing folks. Yeah, we love we love you out there, marketing people. Um, just get your stuff done faster, so we can <laughs> so we can get it done. Uh, that's cool. Um, and then anything else at uh, so the at Beer Bradley, you've got the masks, and that was a huge area. Not just I'm I'm sure of like I'm sure there were other parts of your business that you had ex- you had expected certain revenue to come in that the pandemic hit that, that slowed that revenue. And then maybe the masks helped, um, you know, kind of keep facilitating some level of growth. I don't, you know, you don't have to disclose any of that, but um, did, uh, if I recall in our last conversation, you, you guys have quite a focus 
on using sustainable materials, fabrics, and and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, how did that play into? How does it play into your packaging? Um, where is that kind of on your decision making matrix? And how often was that brought up, especially like during the mask production time of packaging? So during the the mask production um, part of the packaging, it was important for sure. Uh, but by its very nature, it was very minimalist. Mm-hmm. So the the components that we used were as least impactful to the environment as we could use for that that purpose. Yep. Um, Overall, is if we're talking about how we select packaging materials, um, we try to use paper as much as possible. Like I said, our primary products don't have packages. So right, uh, right, right off the bat, we're winning. Um, when it comes to transport packaging coming in from overseas, that's, that's, those are things that we're lightweighting. Um, as we speak, we're looking for you know, FSC certified materials, items that um, can be packed in a way where they're a bit more dense in a container, mm-hmm. but we're using less packaging overall. Um, so, you know, that's really our philosophy is to be very minimal with our packaging. And then when we actually have to use materials, uh, be conscious of where they're coming from, how they're going to be disposed of. And uh, what we're working on now is how do we communicate that to the end consumer? Yeah. Yeah. I was just on a, uh, I was having a conversation today with somebody and, you know, they were like, it, it almost feels like a, it almost feels really difficult because we can do everything right and still have all of our stuff end up in, in a place that we don't want it to end up. Because really at the end of the day, consumers like you and I are consumers of right. plenty of things. Um, we still have a, we are basically, if, if you're looking at something like recycling, we are the front end in many cases of that recycling um, cycle. Like we have to make good decisions with what to do. And you can even educate people, you know, how to recycle has done a great job with educating people. But at the end of the day, they still have to act wisely. And sometimes I would say probably oftentimes that's probably one of the more frustrating parts about my job is it's like, what's the whole thing you can lead a, horse to water, but you can't make it drink or right. something like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, it, it, and that's, that's not uncommon to what you're saying from the brand perspective is like, of course, this is just who we are. It's, it's natural. You can't almost prioritize. There's not, there's never conversations where you're like, well, this is the best option and the most sustainable option, but we're not going to go with it because of whatever reason. Right. Like you guys, it just seems right. like you kind of have an ethos of like, we're just always going to be looking for the best yeah, thing. You're just going to do the right thing. Right. You, know, you, you got to have a clean conscience. Yeah. And was that part of, was that, uh, you can be totally honest here. Does, is that something that attracted you to Vera Bradley as a packaging engineer was some of their corporate, like their culture and their ethos? Or were you like, yeah, I love Indiana. Go Hoosiers. <laughs> You know, I had no idea where Fort Wayne, Indiana was. I could not have pointed it out on a map to you. Um, I mean, really what drew me in was the the people that I met when I interviewed uh, and just kind of the the overall, yeah, culture of the company. Yeah, 
it's really focused on, hey, let's let's have these great products that our user can interact with and they're functional and helpful. And they also have this big component of giving back for cancer research um, as a big part of the business, which which is really great. I mean, you work at some companies and you know all they want to do is pump out widgets and we need to make a better widget and uh, line our pockets with all this widget money. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> it's it's nice being at a company that, you know, they're they're not just about selling more handbags and and kind of being focused on that. You know, really it's it's all it's about their employees, they care about their uh, customers. It's it's really all encompassing. Yeah. That's cool, man. Well, uh, I I need to ask you my my favorite question. It's been one of the most insightful questions for me just in doing a lot of these interviews, um, I've learned a ton from other people. And so I'm excited to hear your answer. So you can fix anything about packaging. It doesn't just have to be corrugated boxes. Uh, we certainly get a lot of answers about sustainability. You can go that route if you want. I'm not going to tell you how to answer, but you can fix anything you want about the packaging industry. Uh, and what what's that thing or maybe a few things, however you want to handle it, that you think you would just snap your Thanos finger and do something. Don't kill half the people in the world, but you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> you can, you can fix it. What is it? All right. So I, I've been thinking about this and I think what would be most really impactful and would make people's lives a lot easier is if they could throw any and all plastic into a container and have it be sorted correctly at its final destination. I know yeah, so they don't have to think anymore. Just, they don't have to it, think. Is it plastic? Drop it in and it, yeah. gets, it gets handled correctly. Right. Plastic bags. Sure. Throw them in glass bottles. Sure. Blue glass, brown glass, green glass. Go for it. So just almost any like non-paper waste. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Cool. I like it. What about like plastic toys? Could those... Yeah. Why not? <laughs> You have the wand, so you can do whatever you want. Yeah. (laughs) That's a great one. Um, I feel like stuff like that is, is in development, but not to that level though. Um, I I know some folks who are trying to work on different ways of doing, um, you know, chemical recycling where it doesn't require any sorting and stuff like that. Um, That's a good one though. I will, uh, remind me, or I'll, I'll just, after the interview's over, I'll put you in touch with somebody who's working on something kind of similar. Um, might be just an interesting point, a person to know and a conversation to have. So, uh, but I like it though. Cause I agree. It's um, I, there's a Harvard uh, business study that talked about what is the greatest way to stop customer churn. And it was tracking customer effort. So how easy is it for somebody to do business with you? If the easier you make it, the longer they'll stick around with you. Um, it was kind of the, the, the overall message of it. So when it comes to recycling, if you're a recycling center and you want more people to give you recycling, you have to make it as easy as possible for them to give you whatever it is that you need in a way that you need it. Um, so that would be right in line with basically you're you're like a Harvard graduate is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you've nailed it. I'll just I'll just grant you the I'll knight you with the uh, the honorary degree. Um, so that's great. Well, 
Uh, Joe, what are, what, if, if somebody had questions for you, like who would be somebody that you'd be like, man, I would love to talk with somebody starting out in their packaging career. Like who's a cool person for you to network with um, that would, that you may be like, I'd love to talk with these kinds of people after this podcast is over. I, I absolutely love talking to people really early in their packaging career um, who don't have it figured out yet and are maybe a little overwhelmed um, by all things packaging. You know, because when, when people say packaging, um, especially early on in their career, you know, they might feel like, hey, I've got to get into corrugated or, met or pharma or food um, or else I'm going to be stuck uh, in a place that I don't like forever. Or, you know, they may not know how to handle, uh, how, to how to speak and handle uh, the corporate environment. You know, how do I talk to a marketing person to get my point across? How do I talk to a supply chain or operations person for them to understand my packaging needs? Um, you know, those are the people I really like speaking to because it, it's neat when you say something uh, that you learned early on in your career and the other person has like an aha moment. Right. Um, that's like really special. That's so cool. Um, I, yeah, I had somebody reach out to me the other day uh, on LinkedIn and, you know, just said like how they, they just had learned a lot from me and I still feel pretty young in my, in my like packaging journey. I've only been in the packaging industry for 13 years and I still, there's people that's, you know, it's 40, 45 years, they've been doing the same kind of job. And so, um, yeah, I, I totally agree. So when, when, whenever anybody reaches out to me, I'm like, whoa, it's, it's crazy. Um, that's cool. And so if somebody wants to reach out to you, is, is LinkedIn a great way for them to do that? I can put your, yeah, your, absolutely. your thing, your, uh, what is it called? Hyperlink URL deal, whatever that is. I'll put it in the podcast notes. Excellent. I'm obsessively on LinkedIn, always on there. Okay. Well, don't be too obsessive. Uh, <laughs> you know, you still got work to do, so. but well, Joe, it's, uh, I, I learned, I learned a lot. I've got a, I've got a few, uh, connections to make, uh, for you. I've got to order, uh, some masks. Um, is Vera Brad, this is a dumb question. Is Vera Bradley, uh, primarily targeted towards female buyers or like, is there, do you, do you have products for both men and women? I don't know. It is, it is primarily female buyers. Okay. Yep. Got it. But we do um, have masks that are black, solid black. For well, the that could, could be for anybody. For anybody. Um, yeah. Perfect. Cool. Well, uh, I, I will, uh, I'll get some masks on order and I'll, I'll check out your packaging and I'll critique it horribly. No, I won't. Um, <laughs> But this is great. And then I'll have your LinkedIn stuff down there. Uh, Joe, it's been awesome. Thanks for sharing and coming on. Congrats again on a uh, new, new child and all of the joys that comes with that. Uh, I have five of them myself and kids are, uh, kids are an amazing blessing, especially when they start to get involved in, in the packaging industry. It's really cool. So that's right. <laughs> uh, congrats again. And thanks Thank for you. being on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Definitely.